Anonymous Was a Woman was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Jamila and Astrid and the team pay their respects to elders past, present and emerging. We note that this land was stolen and never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. This week's theme is fortitude. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I am joined by the glorious Astrid Edwards. Astrid, as always, we've chosen a theme that can be interpreted in a whole lot of different ways. What comes to mind for you when you think of the word fortitude? Hello, Jamila. And I have to say, you always introduce me with a beautiful adjective. I love getting introduced by you. When I think of fortitude... I think of courage and strength in the face of a challenge or in the face of adversity. And I guess I think about the ability to face whatever it is that needs to be faced. For me, I think I conceptualize it similarly. I think about fortitude in the face of difficulty and challenges, the ones that come along not because of what we've done, probably because of who we are. That's where my mind goes. It goes to the idea of survival despite your circumstances that aren't circumstances of your own making. And I know that's not a technical definition, but I noticed that's where both of us have gone with our book choices this week. So shall we get into them? Absolutely. Astrid, I don't need to ask you if you have read The White Girl by Tony Birch because I know that you have read and enjoyed it. Tell me, what were your reflections on fortitude after reading this magnificent novel? The White Girl is a novel that stays with you. So it was published in early 2019. I did read it in early 2019. And here we are, you know, on the tail end of 2020. And I still remember Odette, the grandmother, and Sissy, the granddaughter, and the fortitude with which the grandmother, Odette, faced her daily life and throughout her life, the strength and courage she displayed just by being who she was and the integrity that she had within herself that then helped her and shaped the way that she faced the world. I think you're right in that for me, there are two streams of fortitude in this novel. The first is that of the women and that of the central characters. And I think I always enjoy stories about strong women. I don't know about you, but on my Netflix, it always comes up with that as a category, like strong female leads. That's my categorization. That's the genre that I go to in life. But in this book, I think there's something delightful about genuinely strong women, women of fortitude who are written by a man and who are written with honor and grace and dignity and not with the kind of traditional white male gaze that we think of when we think about male authors who write female characters. And I think Birch does that beautifully in this book. And then the other stream of fortitude, which very much comes to mind is, you know, the inescapable legacy of colonization, which is the backdrop to this story and the backdrop to the town in which it's set. Now, the plot plays itself out in a fictitious country town called Dean. And I I wanted to ask you, Astrid, what you thought about the idea of choosing or making up a country town to be the central setting for this book when of course I mean Birch could 
realistically have chosen a whole number of regional towns in Australia to set the novel. You're right. Birch could have chosen anywhere in Australia to tell this story. And we find this out by reading the acknowledgements at the end of The White Girl. He chose to create a very realistic yet fictional town because he didn't want to tell the story of an individual. He wanted to tell the story of colonisation and the impact of colonisation on all Indigenous people of Australia and by placing the story in any real town that could be interpreted as telling the story of a particular family or a particular town that then means that people might try to tie up to real people as opposed to think about the story and the characters and even the messages that he's exploring. I think it was a really clever plot device. And like you, I spent much of the book being like, just pick a town, man. Like, (laughs) why not? But then when you hear that set of reasoning, I think it's incredibly powerful. One of the things that also brought me back to our theme today throughout this novel is the determination of Odette to save her granddaughter, Sissy, from coming under the control of white authorities, I suppose, becoming a child whose legal guardian is the state. What a character Odette is. Oh, absolutely, right? Talk about a woman that you just completely admire who, despite being put under incredible pressure, places her intentions to look after her granddaughter centrally, who doesn't let other messiness of life get in the way, is so focused on that outcome of knowing what her granddaughter needs and knowing that she needs to be with her family and not raised by white strangers and who sort of is almost single-minded in that goal, but at the same time almost strategic in the way she, she sets about reaching that goal. It made me think quite a bit in my reading of When you talk to any parent, they say the worst thing in my world would be to lose my child. And the average parent is talking about the death of a child, right? That the worst possible thing would be the illness and a death of a child because the loss of a child would be so gut-wrenching that it would break any kind of fortitude you had. And the white girl, for me, brought to the fore that idea of we lose children in, in lots of ways, that the loss of a child doesn't always look like death and that to a loving parent, and a loving grandparent to have your child taken away, not just from you, but from who they are and from their history and from their sense of self, that that is equally traumatic and that fortitude is required just as much as in the case of the death of that child. The White Girl is not only a beautiful book to read, it is one of those books that put us in historical context that we cannot understand if we weren't there and this book helps us in a little way understand what we can't from personal experience and we've mentioned colonization and the lasting impacts of that are certainly what shaped Odette's life but of course this book starts when Sissy is pretty young in the 1960s and the legacy of the stolen generations is continuing to play out and the Australian government's disastrous and horrific state-sanctioned policy of removing children from their family, removing children from their loved ones. It's a book that I really hope lots of Australian kids read when they're at school, maybe even as part of a history class, not an English class, as a way to really understand why history matters. Astrid, one of the things I did after reading The White Girl was 
go and read everything I possibly could about what others thought of it and how they comprehended it and how they broke it down. And I came across a uh, review by Claire Coleman in the Sydney Review of Books. And one of the lines she said when describing Tony's work and describing the Odette, who is this central grandmother figure, she says, Odette knows the depth of danger they are in. And quoting Tony Birch says, trouble. Our people have been in one sort of trouble or another from the first day we set eyes on a white person. And Claire Coleman continues that this sentiment is familiar to all Aboriginal people, that trouble is life for Aboriginal women, or more accurately, life is trouble. And that the upside of this is that people who survive the trouble become strong. And it was reading that that made me want to bring this particular book to you to discuss fortitude, because I think both Tony and Claire simultaneously in that little paragraph summarise what fortitude really means to me when I think about the characters in literature whose strength and courage I admire so much, particularly in the face of enormous adversity. And it's a book that's been well regarded and well awarded and applauded from all quarters and very much rightly so. You're right, Jamila. The White Girl won the 2020 New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards for Indigenous Writers and was shortlisted for the very prestigious Miles Franklin Award, the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards Christina Steed Prize for Fiction and the Australian Book Industry Awards Adult Book of the Year. An excellent rap for a stunning book. Jam, when I think about fortitude, I think about courage in the face of the incomprehensible and how on earth we can all act with dignity and grace for ourselves, but also for our loved ones, for our friends and our families and our colleagues and those we meet throughout our lives. And you're going to laugh at me and think I brought a really, really heavy topic to discuss today, but I'm bringing this with lightness and love and hope. Today, I would like to talk about A Better Death, Conversations About the Art of Living and Dying Well by Dr. Ranjana Srivastava. Astrid, I forgive you for bringing a book about dying and saying you're bringing us some lightness only because I have read Ranjana's work in The Guardian. She writes a regular column for The Guardian and I think she's brilliant. So I will allow you to talk about this book and pretend that it is light and happy. No, it is light and happy. And I know I'm a black hat thinker and sometimes I go to the dark places, but that the subtitle of this book is The Art of Living and Dying Well. And we all want to live well. Like, that's accepted. Nobody questions that. And the inescapable part of life for us all, this is not a negative, but for us all, is that we are going to die. And how good would it be if we all, if everybody in our society had the chance to die well too? I think that is a genuinely beautiful concept. So A Better Death was first published in 2019. I only read it a few weeks ago and it is still very much bubbling away in my mind. And as you said, she publishes in The Guardian, lots of short form, nonfiction kind of commentary about what on earth we're doing with our days. But this is, I think, her seventh work. So she is a practicing oncologist. And while she does not see people at the very, very end of life, because she is not a palliative care doctor, she sees people with terminal illness and works with them to make decisions about care and works with their family and friends to make decisions about final choices in life. And over the course of about two decades, she's seen people not make good decisions, or I think I should more accurately say 
choose not to make decisions and therefore not die well. And so this book is a lovely exploration of her experiences as a doctor and the patients and the families and the friends that she has worked with. And it is really happy. I mean, I got a little bit teary, but you know, those good tears where you're like, I am feeling an emotion and I love feeling this. And this is what life is about. And this is, this is what I want to do for my family. This is Mm -hmm. what I want to do for my friends. And this is what I want my family and my friends to do for me. This is a beautiful thing to think about for those we love. I accept the happy tears in this kind of situation because I think without trying to get too deep in this moment, but when can you otherwise, other than when you're talking about a book that is about dying well, but, you know, life is made sweet because of death. Life is made sweet because you don't live forever, because time matters, because what you do with that time matters, because it's finite. And uh, one of the things I love about Ranjana's writing is she talks about the importance of thinking about death as part of life. And certainly in Western culture, I think we're not very good at doing that. And I think to an extent, Western medicine kind of, you know, Western medicine says to us that we should intervene when someone is dying, that you should get involved and try to stop them dying without necessarily thinking about the costs and the ramifications of that. And that for a lot of people, sometimes death can be the best thing. And that is a very hard thing to say out loud. Did you get to know Ranjana and her patients through this book or does she have to anonymize the stories that she's telling in order to to look after the people who made these various decisions, good and bad? We hear a lot about her patients. I suspect they've all been de-identified, but we hear the end of life stories of many of her patients and some made decisions at the end of their life themselves or on behalf of family members who weren't able to make decisions in ways that led to a peaceful death, a death that was as they wished, whether that was surrounded by friends and family or whether that was at home or all the little things that you could choose, but you only get to choose if you think about it in advance. Sometimes if you haven't done the thinking, if you haven't had the conversations, if you haven't cried those awkward, happy tears, it's too late. And this is what she wants us all to think about. She doesn't want any of us to find ourselves in a hospital bed with information that we don't want or to find ourselves in the emergency department there to meet someone that we love and not know. Like at that point, you can't do much, right? And so she's asking us all to think beforehand and look, Jam, I'm a sick person and I'm like a long-term sick person and I have multiple sclerosis and it's not going to kill me, but it is going to quite likely change the quality of my life. And a few years ago, my poor sister, who's eight years younger than me, we had quite a lot of conversations and my partner and I have had a lot of conversations and my parents and I have had a lot of conversations. And so I thought I was really well prepared. And I've now read this book and me being me, I've made some lists and we're going to have more conversations, mum. There's a, there's more on the way, but I feel like I now have the fortitude to have those conversations about myself, but also maybe with my parents and with my, my partner. And I feel like that is an act of love towards them as they have shown to me before. I think for an author to equip us to have those conversations is a real 
gift. It really is. I think human beings spend so much time thinking about their lives and thinking about what happens after their lives. The human race has always been preoccupied with what happens after death. But I think most of us haven't thought about the way we'd like to die and our priorities. And like you, I'm a sick person and so have given thought to that, have had to give thought to that a lot earlier in life than I ever expected to. And I think without realizing it beforehand, I came to understand that there are things I want. There are principles I want to die by as well as principles I want to live by. And while those conversations are complex and emotionally loaded, as Ranjana points out in all of her work, I think if we approach them with empathy and we approach them with care and prioritizing the person who is having the experience that is death, an experience we will all have, they can be had in a way that's incredibly meaningful. It's so true. And our society is far from perfect, but I kind of know what to do if somebody gives birth and I kind of know what to do if somebody gets married or if somebody has a significant birthday, right? Like those rituals are not perfect and don't fully go into the the weight of what has happened, but they are all about life and there is a meaningful way to engage with them. When somebody passes, we have funerals and we have wakes in Western culture and that's pretty much it. There is no space for the time before that would be lovely to honour and there is very little space and recognition of the time that comes after for those who are left, for the grief that comes afterwards and we should honour that too. I really love reading the work of a doctor who is surrounded by illness and surrounded by death because it gives her a freedom. It gives Ranjana this freedom to speak about these issues with a sense of normality. Her every day is life and death. And while you say she's not a doctor who is working necessarily in palliative care, but she is often working with terminally ill patients and it requires a level of getting comfortable with inevitability. And I find myself when I read her work a little bit envious of being that comfortable because in talking to her own patients, she has to become comfortable with the reality that she herself and those she loves will eventually die at at some point. And I think of the many conversations I have had at points in my life about death and dying and how trite they've been and how quick people have been to jump to very strange sometimes comments where they think they're making you feel better because we're ill-equipped and when I reflect on those all I can think is that a book like this given to someone early in life even though death is a big topic that we try and keep away from children and teenagers I think the earlier in life you come to terms with these kinds of topics and do the reading and do the thinking that authors like Ranjana ask us to, the more equipped you'll be later in life for when inevitably you have to deal with it. I really agree. And just a heads up to all my family who listen, you're all getting this for Christmas so we can have a great big family discussion. And I've known people who have died badly and I have known people who have died well. And if I can help my friends and family, and if I can possibly do it myself, I would really like to die well. And I know that that doesn't just magically happen, right? That kind of involves a bit of planning. I agree, Astrid. It sounds like a simple and somewhat morbid wish, but I think to wish someone a good death is an incredibly generous thing. And I think Rajana is going to help more people die well. Okay, Jamila, it is recommendations time. And 
I want to stick with the fact that we are sick people and there is not a good language around illness. So today I want to recommend Kylie Maslin's Show Me Where It Hurts, Living With Invisible Illness. Has this come across your radar yet? It most certainly have. I am a very big fan. Please tell us why you would recommend it to all the people out there who may well be healthy people and not like you and me, Astrid. Healthy people, I no longer understand you, but this is a book that you should read. This is a new book. It's quite recent. I have literally just read it and I read it in one sitting and you know, I love doing that. But the reason why I did it is as a sick person, I struggle to explain to my doctors and I have many of them what it feels like. And I also struggle to explain to my friends and my family what it feels like. And I need my doctors to understand because I need them to do their doctor thing. But I need my friends and my family to understand them because To be honest, it's shitty being sick and it's shitty being always sick. And I like to think I have a great vocab, but I honestly find myself at a loss most of the time. So I read this book and Maslin has a variety of conditions, including chronic pain. I have neuropathic pain as a result of multiple sclerosis. So we have a common experience. We don't have a common illness. And that's what I think is so beautiful. She has managed to tap into finding a description for how it feels. And that is just goddamn valuable. It's a magical thing to be able to do, to be able to put words around human experience where the rest of us haven't been able to before. And so many times I have sat there in a doctor's office and tried to describe what a certain kind of pain is. And we have this one word pain that has to encompass so many different things and so many different feelings. And I always think of that idea that the Eskimos apparently have 10 billion words for snow, right? Well, pain, we should be better at talking about what pain is and more nuanced about it. And I think an author that can gift that to an individual to describe their pain, both for themselves, for their doctors and for the people who love them is a really amazing thing to do. It's completely possible that my neurologist will get highlighted bits of Kylie Maslin's book when I rock up to see him because she can explain it better than I can. So that is my recommendation for people who are ill, but also for people who are not ill. So you understand what it's like for those you love. I really love the idea of you being in your doctor's office and saying, may I please quote and bring out a book that's like full of little tabs with coloured little writing on it. That's my kind of doctor's appointment. Astrid, I am really excited to make a recommendation of a brand new book that is hitting bookshelves this month called Untold Resilience, which is a book by future women who bring you this podcast. Can I tell you about it? Oh, please do, Jam. Untold Resilience is the stories of 19 ordinary and yet genuinely extraordinary Australian women, most of whom are older women aged in their 80s and 90s. During lockdown, future women journalists spoke to these 19 individuals in depth for hours on Zoom and on phone calls and helped create a short story of their lives and their resilience and their fortitude. Each of these women have lived through a major global cataclysmic event before. They have lived through great depressions. They have lived through world wars. They have been refugees. They have lost children. They have survived family violence, incredible poverty, horrific racism and homophobia. And they have all lived to tell the tale and all of their tales are 
uplifting. And this book for me, creating it was a privilege. And I'm so excited to be able to share the stories of these women with women who are also going through a difficult time. This pandemic has affected all of us in different ways, but many have lost their jobs. Some will have lost loved ones. Some will have lost their own health into the future. And all of us have lost some level of freedom and comfortability and that sense of being okay and being safe in the world. And that shouldn't be underestimated. And I really think this beautiful book and these phenomenal women's stories are going to bring people a lot of peace, bring a lot of optimism and a lot of admiration because their fortitude in the face of incredible global events, many of which are unimaginable to all of us, is truly remarkable. For those who are listening to Jam, you need to know that her face over Zoom has lit up. Jam is very excited and I think a little bit pleased with herself to be able to bring these stories to the world. I haven't seen this book yet, but I'm really looking forward to reading it, Jam. The idea of learning from women in their 80s and 90s who have seen some stuff and are still standing. I kind of need to learn quite a few lessons this year and I think they might be able to help me. I think that's true. And I also believe that for so long, our history has been seen through the prism of men's courage and men's fortitude and men's resilience. And through all those wars, through all those pandemics before, through all those hard times, Women have lived through them too and their stories might be quieter and they might involve perhaps less grandeur and less attention, but those women survive too and it's a, it's a really special thing to be able to give some of those women the credit they deserve for a life well lived and a life survived. Can I just say, being able to pull together these women's stories whilst in lockdown, meaning that you can't go and sit on the couch, you can't form a personal relationship with them in person to gain their trust, to gain their, to to help them open up and, and tell their real story. To be able to do that at all is amazing, but to do it in lockdown when it has to be remote is truly quite remarkable. That is a hard thing to do at the best of times. and We are not in the best of times. Thank you. I think it's a real testament to the journalists who were involved in this project the trust and the bonds that they formed, but also the openness of the women who were interviewed, who essentially told people they'd never met in person, as you say, things they may never have told anyone. At least one of the women whose stories is in this book, who I spent hours and hours with, who I loved getting to know. I happen to know her daughter, who I've come across in my working life. And she learned things in that essay about her mother that she didn't know that I got to know before her own children. So I feel beyond lucky to have been given that moment of insight into these women's lives. And while the book is full of difficulty and challenge and disaster and sadness and poverty at the times, it's also incredibly uplifting and moving and such a reminder that all these women who've lived through global catastrophes and devastation, for almost all of them, It didn't shape their life. The people in their life shaped their life far more than the events did. And I have found that incredibly reassuring. Untold Resilience will be available from 20 October and we would 
very much like it if you grabbed a coffee and had a read. That's all we've got time for today on Anonymous Was a Woman. Thank you to my wonderful co-host Astrid Edwards and thank you to all of you who continue to show up and hear and chat about books with us. In just a couple of days' time, we will be speaking with Rebecca Huntley, who has written a new book that is about how we talk about climate change. There's a little bit in there around climate change itself, but she accepts the science and she takes us a step forward and talks about how those of us who believe that action is urgent on climate change, which it absolutely is, how we stay strong in the face of enormous opposition from governments, from business and from climate deniers. It's a fascinating conversation and we hope you will join us for it. If you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode or indeed any episode, you never want to miss an episode, you should subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give this episode a rating and a review. A nice one, please. It will help other people find Anonymous Was a Woman. Happy reading. Happy reading.